Hi, I'm Jenna. And I'm Mark. And you're listening to Cincinnati Zoo Tales. Hey guys, welcome back. We're really excited to be here with Gary Densler today. Yeah, thank you all for joining us for another episode of Cincinnati Zoo Tales. Gary's a bit of a legend around the yes. zoo community. <laughs> if you work here, you know who he is. Gary is, what, one of the longest running zoo employees in history? Yeah, well, there's actually some people that... One guy actually did 63 years here, so I wasn't about to try to conquer (laughs) that. Wasn't out for a record. I did 50 years in six months, actually. Uh, That's quite the tenure here. (laughs) 50 years in six months. When did you start? 1967, August. Okay, and now you're living the retired life, right? I'm living a retired life out in St. Leon, Indiana on 55 acres and enjoying life. I'm a I got quite a few hobbies that keep me active and busy and still loving my birds and doing that stuff. And I was going to say, I know you have always been doing carvings and amazing, right. beautiful. Are you still doing that? I still am, yes. Oh I'm in a gosh. group called Masterworks for Nature, which at one time included Charlie Harper and John Ruffin. Wow. And that group over the years since 1999 when we started the group, we've raised over a million dollars towards conservation efforts around the around the United States with no selling idea. our artwork. That's incredible. And giving a percentage to to, to these different outfits. Wow. Yeah, I'm real so proud cool. of that group yeah. and they're wonderful. There are only like 10 of us in wow. that group, but um, I'm the only sculptor in the group. Okay. <laughs> I'm a carver, the rest of them are painters. <laughs> oh my gosh, what is the group called again? Masterworks for Nature. Okay, I had no idea you had been actually giving back so much, a million dollars. That's Oh yeah, we raised over a million in, in profit and donation to these different groups. Wow. Oxbow, uh, Cincinnati Nature Center, Allwood Audubon Center up in Dayton, all, all over, just helping out. That's incredible. That's amazing. That's amazing. You're clearly very passionate, very inspiring individual to be around. Where'd you get your start with with wildlife, with nature in general? What got you involved? Well, um, I grew up over in a a subdivision that bordered on Mount Airy Forest. So as a kid growing up, I was very fortunate because being in a subdivision, I had friends that I hung out with. And we had a thousand acres of woods to to explore. And... uh, in those days, uh, a very popular show was Tarzan, and also a, a show called Mutual Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Oh, yeah. And, and they were always out with doing stuff with animals. And, of course, Tarzan had all, all his animal friends. <laughs> so we were, like, swinging on grapevines, climbing trees. We were always <laughs> back in the woods, and we were always trying to drag animals out of the woods. And, and I had baby raccoons that I raised. And uh, every year we'd have a baby raccoon, and and I had some birds and stuff that I, I was into, and uh, that that just kind of never left me, you know that that passion and, and the love for those animals was really cool. And, I never uh, knew Cincinnati had our own Tarzan right in our backyard. <laughs> yeah, we, we, that's actually how we communicated. We gave the call in the woods, and we they, the neighbors will always say, "Man, we could hear you guys back in the woods today," and. Uh, we had a thing called a have a heart trap, and we would set that in the evening back on a creek. And then my buddy would come over to my house before we went to school, and it'd be January, and we go back into the woods in the darkness, 
and and we'd be checking our traps to see if we caught a raccoon or anything. Oh my gosh. And we caught all kinds of stuff, you know. <laughs> it was fun. It's so but funny yeah. as kids you grow up loving animals and you're catching them and doing things that we probably shouldn't do, but it made <laughs> us all fall in love with animals oh, and yeah, eventually yeah. like do so much good for them. But involved, we all yeah. started that yeah. way to <laughs> find an animal somehow. It is. And and so when I was 12 years old and and I didn't have an easy life. My dad passed away when I was 10 years old, and my mom not only had to get a job, but she had to learn how to drive a car because oh. she was a housewife. Oh, That's yeah. what you know was going on back then. So I did, a, and I had two older brothers that kept me in line. <laughs> One was 18 years older than me, and he was almost like my second dad, okay. and he did a great job. But he had a friend who was a park ranger out at Miami Whitewater Forest, a guy by the name of Ron Austin who was not only a park ranger, he was a bird photographer, and he was really into raptors. So when I was 12, my brother saw my interests and stuff, and I liked aviation too, so that kind of made birds oh, kind of yeah. fall in mm -hmm. on things. So yes. my brother took me out to Ron Austin's house, and, and he had a golden eagle, he had red-tailed hawks, he had great horned owls. Wow. He had all these birds perched on his yard and stuff. At his house? At his house, wow. yeah. So I like... Oh, man, this is the coolest thing in the world. I, I got to get me one of these. So I scoured the woods the next spring. I really looked and looked at for nests and stuff. Finally, one day, there, there was a nest, and I could see the tail of the bird sticking out. I'm like, that's a hawk. And so I called Ron Austin up. And Ron said, oh, we'll come over in a couple of weeks and we'll ban the babies. They would put aluminum bands, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Okay. And then you could tell how long the birds lived and where they moved and this and that. So Ron showed up in a couple of weeks with a guy by the name of Jack Holt, who was also a park ranger. And his big thing was banding birds of prey. And um, they Jack climbed the nest. And I said, how many babies are up there? And he said, oh, they're at five. Wow. And I looked at Ron. I said, can I have one? And he said, you don't want one of those, I'll get you a hawk. Oh, my gosh. And I thought, well, I'll never hear from these guys again, <laughs> you know. But I, I, I listened to him, and like two weeks later, he calls me up. He says, Gary, come on out here. I got a bird for you. And I went out there, and, and he had a kestrel, which is a little falcon. Oh, yeah. And he said, here you go. And I says, do you got anything about training these birds and stuff? And he hands me this big green book that looked like a Bible. And he said... <laughs> He hands it to me. I'll never forget it. Ron Austin was a guy like that. He said, here, this ought to discourage you. Oh. <laughs> the book was written in the 1500s by Frederick oh. II of the Holy Roman Empire. Wow. It was the first book ever written on ornithology, the study of birds. And it was, it was in English because they had converted it. Mm -hmm. But it was all about falconry. Wow. And Frederick II was a big-time falconer. And he wrote this book about the, about the sport. And I, I had my bird, and I was reading that <laughs> book and studying it. So you're what, 11 or 12? I was 12, 13 12? years okay. old at the time, yeah. And uh, it, it showed me how to put the leather jesses on its legs and, and how to whistle and train it for the food. And, and, then it, and I'll never forget that little kestrel. I was out in my front yard, and he was sitting over here, and I whistled, and he flew over and landed on my hand, and I just went nuts. I, <laughs> I just like, this is the coolest thing in the world. Oh, my god! And then the neighbors would come down and watch me fly the bird. And, and the you milk, were doing bird shows we had, from 12 years old. <laughs> <laughs> we had the milkman. I mean, they had milkmen back in those days. And they were all like, hey, Gary, how's your bird doing? And this and that. And I'd be sitting out there with reading my book and trying to figure all out that. And, and I got the bird to fly to me and stuff. And so that was the start. 
And then I, I would go over to Miami Whitewater. I had to ride my bike over in the morning, which was, I was on North Bend Road, which was like miles away. Oh my gosh. I had to do that on, on the weekends. I went over to Jack's house. He was the bird bander. And we went out and we, we banded horned owls in March. We banded red tails and Cooper's hawks in, in April. And, and we banded other birds. And we go, and Jack would climb to the nest. I would carry the ro ropes for him and stuff. And we, we would do this all weekend. And I'm like, oh, man, I got to figure out a way to make a living doing something yeah. like this. <laughs> and, you know, I guess I'm going to be a park ranger and do this on the side or something. But I, I just was really into it. And when I graduated from high school, Jack said, Gary, I'm going up to Michigan to band bald eagles. You want to go with me? I'm like, heck yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. So, <laughs> so back then, this was 1967. So there was four eagle nests in the whole state of Ohio. Today, oh there's gosh. over 200 nests. Yeah. DDT had really wiped out the bald eagle. And as I, we were driving up there, I was thinking, man, I'll tell my grandkids someday I got to see a bald eagle nest because they were disappearing. Wow. So we went up to Michigan. <laughs> the very first nest we came to, the, the two young eagles were in the nest, and they were a little older than we thought they would be. And as Jack started to climb the tree, the one eagle jumped out of the nest and could fly a little bit, but not very well. And he landed right in the middle of the river. <gasps> oh, no. Right in the middle, and he's floating oh, on the river. No. And I was like... I got him, and I, I took off my shirt. I dove in the river, I, and it was cold. Oh my God. <laughs> and I, I swam out there, and I got to the eagle, and the eagle's mouth was open, and I knew I had to get the talons, the two, the two feet. And I reached under the water, and I said, well, if I don't get the, one of them, it's going to get me. Yeah. So I got both feet, and I got back to the shore, and I went up, and we wrapped the eagle up in my T-shirt, tied a rope on it, and Jack pulled it back up into the nest, and he banded it and stuck oh, it up good. there and it was fine. And the important lesson I learned, don't worry about taking your shirt off when you're going to rescue somebody, but take your wallet out of your pants. Because oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. my the money was all soaked and I had to dry it around the fire that night. <laughs> but um, it was the coolest experience. And I'm thinking, well, I'll never get this again. I held a bald eagle in my yeah. arms. Well, you rescued little did I know how much in the future that would. And, you know, when we went up to get Sam the bald eagle when I got permission to tell you that story um i went up and the the the, the doctor at uh, michigan state dr zarkowski he was an eagle expert and we went up this was uh, would have been 2003 when we went up to get sam and i said doc this is cool how's things going with the eagles and he's like oh you know it's doing great they're coming back and this and that and he said gary i take blood work from baby eagles every year and he said, I think it's going to be 100 more years before it's completely out of the environment, wow. the DDT. Oh, my goodness. And I said, Doc, who, who does the climbing for you? He said, oh, I got this old guy. His name is Jack Holt. No way! <laughs> and I looked at him, and I said, yeah, I know that guy. Oh, my God. How cool we that he took you under his wing and, like, oh, taught yeah. you so yeah. much from such a young age. Like, I can imagine a kid may not always be super helpful. Yeah. I'm sure you were because you're so... Oh, dope in a river. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and here's why all this story connects to the zoo. Because I was... This was one of the hardest couple months of my life. When I graduated high school, I hated school. I knew I didn't want to go to college. Uh -huh. And I was like, what the hell am I going to do? Yeah. And, and my mom walks into the room one day and she says, Gary, newspaper article here. It says the zoo's got an opening. I think you ought to go up and apply. No way. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. Well, I didn't find this out until my retirement party 
Ed Maruska, who was the curator back then, and the guy that hired me, Ed Maruska said, Ron Austin called him and said, Ed, there's a guy coming in for the interview. He's a, gr he's a good kid, and you're going to like him. And his name is Gary Denzler. Oh, my gosh. And, and so I didn't find that out until I retired. That's amazing but, that you found wow. out. So I walked into the, off, the zoo office up there where Thane is now, and I filled out an application. There was like 10 other guys in the office filling out applications. What was the and, position Yeah, for? what was the job? It, it was just a keeper. Okay. That's all I knew. Okay. So I filled out my application, put down, I did this. and Anyway, put it in there. I sat down, and the guy sitting next to me, and, and Ed came out and took all the papers back into his office and this guy sitting next to me said you look kind of young he said are you out of school and I go oh yeah I graduated high school he said high school he said I got a zoology degree from Ohio State oh no and you know what honest to god I started getting up out of the chair I'm thinking I ain't got a prayer getting up. I'm <laughs> out of here and I as I stood up Ed comes out of the office he goes Gary Denzler get in here <laughs> <laughs> so I got into his office and he Ed's looking at my paperwork and he said, I see her, you worked with Ron Austin and Jack Holt. You had all these raptors. I, I had all kinds of hawks and stuff at home. And he said, Do you ever have any mammals? I go, Oh, yeah, I had a raccoon, possum, skunk, <laughs> armadillo, porcupine. And he said, You're hired. You start tomorrow. <gasps> How exciting. On the spot. We're on the spot. And I turned around, and as I went out of the office, and you had to know Ed Maruska to appreciate this. As I walked out of the office, I heard Ed come out and go, the position's been filled, all the rest of you get out of here. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I, I, got, I didn't have a car, so I took a bus. I had to catch the bus back home. I'll never forget, I went, I went home. I called my girlfriend up. I said, I got a job at the zoo. Let's go celebrate. So what you did back in those days, you went to the drive-in movie. Oh, yeah. You'll never guess what movie was playing at the drive-in movie. Born Free. Oh, Born no way. Free. I was going to say Tarzan. <laughs> was say yeah, Tarzan would have been a good one, too. I'm like, here I am watching Born Free. I'm going to go work at the zoo. I don't know where I'm going to work. I was hoping the birdhouse. Yeah. You know, and I got to the zoo the next day. Are you guys okay? Am I going too long on stuff? No, go. No, I, I got to tell you this, <laughs> and I forgot to say this. When my mom brought me up here when I was eight years old, she said, you didn't want to see the elephants, the gorillas, or the lions. All you wanted to see was the bald eagle. No way. So it was always birds. So I was eight, eight years, old. years old, you know, and she, and she, I even remember her asking a keeper, hey, where are the bald eagles at? Hey, and, bird people and they were actually in a cage <laughs> over by the old elephant house. Okay. Wow. So anyway... That, it goes back. You know, my dad was an accountant. He worked for Eagle Pitcher. I don't know if that had anything wow, to yeah. do with inspiring me. But when I was a real little kid, like five years old, I was really into dinosaurs, which okay, a awesome. lot of kids were. Yeah. Sure. And That's my parents would lie to me because they, they loved the way I could tell, sell the names of all the different ones. Anyway, but I, I wanted to be, I wanted to dig up dinosaurs is what I wanted to do as a kid. But that all progressed, you yeah. know, when it went on. So I don't want so anyway, I got hired at the zoo. What was the actual job once you started? So I was 17 years old. I, the guy said, okay, Gary, you go down to the children's zoo. There's a guy shearing sheep down there. <laughs> he said, you, his name is Cecil Jackson. You meet him and he'll take care of you. And I went down to Mr. Jackson and I met him. And he got done. He threw all the sheep uh, hair into a pillowcase, threw it over his shoulder and said, follow me, boy. <laughs> and and we walked down to the old ape house. Which is now, I don't even know what, that's where the bird show is. I was going to say, it's Mai Tai's market, right? Yeah. yeah Mai Tai's market and the bird oh, show in yeah. the back. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. So we went down there and I'm like, oh my gosh. And he opens the door, 
King Tut is looking out from behind the Which bars. Which is a gorilla, right? The gorillas, King Tut oh the gorilla. And, and the chimps were all in these cages. And over here was a couple of sea lions. And over here was Shotzi the elephant. Oh my gosh, what a And mix. I'm like, oh my gosh, what have I got into? <laughs> <laughs> were you excited? I, or were you yeah, really I was, but they weren't birds? I'll tell you, I was the shyest kid in the world. Really? I mean, I was scared to death to be out in front of people. And, and and I was like, what have I got myself? <laughs> Knowing and, you now, and, that surprises me. So there was actually three people that worked in the ape house back then. There was Cecil, the head keeper, and there would have been me, and then there was a guy named Quentin Ballou. Okay. And the three of us, we took care of the gorillas, the orangutans, and all the animals in the show. Wow. Plus, in the summertime, we did four shows a day. We <gasps> did we did two sea lion shows and two chimp shows. You've oh done everything. Gosh. And and that started on Easter Sunday oh and went through to Halloween. Wow. That's how many, and along with that we had to take care of the gorillas and right. everything. That sounds Goodness. exhausting. A lot a of shows. Big, and we had three ponies and two Siberian huskies in that <laughs> chimp show. Wow, things and have changed. Yeah. So, <laughs> I know. And and I'll I'll never forget this. As I'm walking out on the stage, they said, just stand off to the side. Keep away from the chimps. Keep, and, and, and Cecil said, Gary, pay attention, because tomorrow you got to announce the show. <gasps> so this One is your day. first day. And my first day, and I'm scared and to death. And with chimps that could easily and these kill chimps, you. Oh, yeah. These chimps were, you had to know, know what you're doing with oh them chimps. Gosh. And I loved them. I got along good with them. And I never had much of a problem. I got a couple of little nips in the hand, but nothing that really, really bad wow. from the chimps. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. From the ch no one would go in with chimps these days. No. no. So and you know that was, I I know me and Cecil when when we were finishing up our we went to St. Louis Zoo, Detroit Zoo. They all had chimp shows. Wow. It was very much a yeah. part. I think Cincinnati was the last zoo to really get rid of chimp shows and. And it really was good that that we that we stopped doing that stuff because they were neat animals. They were very intelligent, and yeah. they did some really cool stuff. But you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't natural for them. And, yeah, you know, it was, it was it's kind so of the industry and, standard back right? then. Yeah, yeah, yeah everywhere was doing it. Things yeah. have popular. and that's something that we can say now that zoos are continuously getting better and progressing and doing what's right for the animals, but still, you know, inspiring people. I'm really interested though, like. That you didn't mention a bird in any of that. So how did it come back to like? <laughs> well, and you were okay after yeah. working chimps, elephants, uh, like a sea lions. You still wanted to work birds. Oh so yeah, that I was still interested like... in the birds. And Ed Maruska knew I was a big raptor guy. Okay. So I mean, I was only there a week, and Ed called me up and he said, "Gary, you know how to put Jesses on a on a bird." I said, "Oh yes, sir, I do." And he said, "Well, I want you to go over to that." Go over to that cage, and there was like 12 red-tailed hawks in the cage. Oh, my gosh. And he said, get a hawk, and I want you to tame it down and put it in the children's zoo on display, wow. like on a falconry uh -huh. perch and stuff. Okay. You know, I said, oh, yeah, great. So That's right up your alley. That's yeah, right up my alley. So, I, you know, I, I had to still, I'm still learning the eight-pounds job. And now I'm going, on my break, I would go up, and, and we had two breaks one at, at 10 o'clock and one at 2.30. And then at 12, 12 to 12.30, we had lunch. Okay. So I would go, I would eat my lunch at, at the 10 o'clock break. And then I would go up from 12 to 12.30 and work with the hawk. And I would sit up at the children's zoo with her sitting on my hand and stuff. And I would talk to people that they were coming through. And there was no education department here I, at the time. Yeah. And I, and I was talking to people. And honest to God, it wasn't months later. I'm, I really started liking the show and, and seeing how it all worked and how it, 
I learned a lot from Cecil about uh, stage presence and oh, stuff yeah. like that. And I really got into it. And honest to gosh, it was a few months later, I walked down with that hawk and I sat in those stands and I said, someday, someday. <laughs> I, I, it, was, it was all in my mind that I, I was going to do this. That is so neat You're coming up with a plan. Yeah, <laughs> I was coming up with a plan. I have a quick question about the mm -hmm. hawks. So mm -hmm. typically, mm -hmm. I would assume with falconry, but I could be wrong, you would have a juvenile or a young hawk that would right. imprint. Right. The ones that you were working with once you got here, were they juveniles? Well, I, I looked for one of those up in that cage, and there was one. Oh, These okay. These birds say, all that had all gunshot wounds and okay, stuff. Okay, so they were they injured. Were, they all had problems. Okay. And that's why we ended up with them. I see. Okay, yeah. so then I was yeah. wondering how hard it would be to take a full-grown adult hawk and get them comfortable with you. but. And there used to be a morning show on Sunday. Now, back then, there was only three networks. There was five, <laughs> nine, and 12. And that was it. So everybody... You know, you, if you were on one of those TV shows, man, everybody practically saw you in yeah. Cincinnati. So Channel 12 had a show called The Skipper Ryle Show, and it was a kid's show, and every it was on Sunday mornings. And and I wasn't here a couple of weeks, and I, I had to take my hawk on The Skipper Ryle Show. Cool. <laughs> That's awesome. That's and, awesome. And I'm standing there with a the hawk. I, I brought a falconry hood to tell them about how that calmed them down and this and Honest, I'll never forget this. My hand was shaking so bad <laughs> that Skipper Ryle had to take it. And he said, here, Gary, let me hold it up. But I, it was like, man, this is really cool. Oh and, and we actually had a, um, a harpy eagle here in one of those cages. It was like all birds of prey. And uh, the harpy eagle was having foot problems. Uh, the perching wasn't very good. And it was having tissue break down the bottom of its feet. So Ed said, Gary, I want you to try to work with the harpy eagle and i'm like yeah sure i'm the harpy eagle man that's massive that's a hell of a bird yeah that's a hell of a bird neat bird though it was really calm really nice oh, and i took her down to the ape house and they had retreat cages for the gorillas in the back and i put a perch in one of the retreat cages and i put the harpy eagle in there and then once a day i would pull her perch out and she would sit in, a, a, I had a big pan with warm Epsom salts. Oh. And I made her sit in that for an hour every day. And that took care of the swelling in her feet wow. and everything else. And so all this was going on. I was like loving life. This was like running away and joining. Just, it was just, <laughs> I couldn't believe I was doing this. I was this lucky. And I'll tell you about some of the keepers then. The only women that we had back in those days in the, at the zoo were in the nursery. Oh, and the nursery so was actually in the in the ape house. There Everything was, was in the ape house. It sounds like that's what we'll do. I know. So and they were they were good good women and they did well. But everything else was men. Wow. Yeah. And and there were a lot of old guys that were in World War Two. We, uh, we had George Fingerhut in the elephant house, and George was a great guy. He was in the German army oh on the Russian front. Wow. And I actually worked with him for a while. And he said, Gary, the first battle is in. He said, I was scared to death. He said, after that, I was so cold, I didn't care if I lived or died. Oh, my and he walked all the way back to Germany after <gasps> the, when it was, you know, the Russians were beating him down. And uh, he, was a, he was a neat guy. And he, we had a hippo up there. Her name was Mahdi. And Mahdi was a nice hippo. 
And I, I'll never forget, George could make Monty open her mouth, and he would stick his head completely in her mouth, and he would touch her tonsils. And, what? And, and, and he would pull grass and stuff out of her, between her teeth. Oh, my and gosh. Ed Maruska told me this later. He said that George was out, and the, and the public was watching him do all this. And Ed said he was walking by, and he saw George doing that. And he was going to yell at him, but he was afraid if he yelled at him, that would startle Monty and she'd shut her mouth. Yeah, scare the hip. So Ed went back to his office and called the elephant house and said, George, if you ever do that again, I'm going to fire you. Well, George still did it. <laughs> you know, but anyway, there was a lot of these guys. I think I've seen that fo- a photo of him maybe doing yeah. that. Jenna, could you imagine doing oh that with Bebe? Oh, my Tucker. never put our fingers past their front tusks, you know? Yes. Like, I'll pick little things out in front of the teeth. <laughs> On their but, lips, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, she was... And George was, George was a great guy. And and these guys are all, again, they were good, hard workers. Yeah. And, you know, you didn't have a lot of time to spend with your animals. You were just cleaning and taking care of them. Yeah. But they all cared very deeply for these animals, and they were all good, hard-working guys. And, and we had a... Ed Maruska ran a tight ship. I mean, you didn't sit down. You didn't do nothing. You better be up and doing stuff yeah. the whole day. And and but Ed knew his animals. He was a great animal man, and uh, he 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 did a lot of things. He had the insectarium, the first one in the country. Wow, I didn't you realize know, that, that was, was his all... idea. And he had a lot of these exhibits were his were his baby. You know, it's so cool to hear yeah. how things were. And yeah. I think it's really impressive as like a high school student. You knew how to help that that eagle's feet and you're doing all sorts of things that like I have to learn or have been taught by others. And that's really neat that you knew that. And you know, we had one veterinarian, his name was Jerry Theobald and Jerry had his own private practice on Redding road. And he came over here every Wednesday. I bet that was so exciting. So if you had an animal (laughs) problem, that was, you had to, and if it was an emergency, you had to take an animal over to Jerry. Okay. And that, that led to some exciting adventures too. We had a baboon that started coming out of an anesthesia (gasps) back to the zoo in the back of the van. (laughs) And it was like a drill baboon. It wasn't a a nice little baboon. It was the big fang guys. Oh my gosh. And, uh, we had a capybara, you know, that's the largest rodent, and it, and we and it died at, at Jerry's office. And Jerry was a practical joker. He put the capybara in the in the garbage can with a rat trap on its nose. <gasps> oh, <laughs> oh my god! The garbage guy picking up the garbage would have been oh my oh, god! No. So, the garbage guy found it. Oh my gosh! The I capybara, can't capybaras are like yeah. hundred pounds or yeah. more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. He was funny, but he was he was a good vet. He was a good vet. I think your memory is amazing, too. Like, oh, I'm thinking just... back what I did as, as a 12-year-old, and I, I, have no clue. <laughs> I hope someday that I can share stories from my career here, and oh my gosh, yeah, that's amazing. That's... How so did... when did the bird show yeah, come Yeah, how did play? you okay, get into so, the bird Okay, so, you know, show? obviously this was all, and we, me and Jack Holt and Ron Austin went up to Kankakee, Illinois to a falconry meet in 1968, so I was already here at the zoo, and, and, this was a great meet. There were there was a lady named Fawn Hammerstrom that was here who was responsible for saving the prairie chicken in Wisconsin. Oh, cool. And she also worked with Golden Eagles and stuff. But she was there. A guy named uh, Heinz Ming was there. Another guy named Tom Cade was there. And Ron Austin had bred red-tailed hawks in, at his house in a cage behind his house at Miami Whitewater Park. Okay. And he was the first one of the first guys to ever do that mm. in captivity. So Tom Cade was pumping Ron Austin for information. 
because Tom Cade was going to try to breed peregrine falcons wow. in captivity and release them back into the wild. Oh, very cool. And the very first Perry released were was uh, Adam and Eve, and that was in New York City cool. on a skyscraper, and it worked. Wow. And look where we are now with the peregrine falcon. Can you tell yeah. us a little bit about the peregrine falcon? Well, the peregrine falcon, like the bald eagle, was going extinct because of the DDT and the environment. And in the early 1970s, Congress passed an act eliminating DDT, which obviously that made things start to recover again. Unfortunately, the company that makes that is in Texas, and it's still allowed to sell it to outside the United States. Oh, no. And I think that really hurts the migrant birds, you know, yeah. Are all that's just my opinion. But, yeah. Um, anyway, Tom Cade was there pumping at Ron for information. I'm like thinking back now that was almost like Orville and Wilbur were here thinking, hey, we're trying to fly. What <laughs> yeah, about? really. You know, it was like that, and look how successful that became. Wow. I mean, night in the 1990s, I think we released peregrines downtown Cincinnati, yeah. and they're and now they're all over the that's, place. Yeah. There's like three pairs down there. And was I on the boat with you and yes. we saw a peregrine sitting on one of the bridges? Yeah. Because here's what they do. They sit on the bridge and if a bird tries to cross the Ohio River, hey man, open swoop down. Yeah. <laughs> so That's exactly like the way the fastest fast. flying bird, correct? 220 miles Holy an hour. Holy moly. And so, they eat other birds. Yes. They, they primarily eat other birds, yes. So before they were endangered and before buildings were taking over, what was their native habitat? Like why do cliff, buildings Cliff work? ledges and oh, stuff. okay. That makes sense. And you know, sense. back in the day, there were, there were trees that were 200 years old that were like, you know, the chestnut tree. Okay. It was, it was called the Redwood of the East. Wow. And it, it towered over the rest of the forest. So it was 120 feet where all the beech trees and oak trees were 80 feet. So it actually went up over the can canopy. Mm -hmm. And the peregrines would nest in like holes in there. I they, see. They never built a nest, but they always nested on ledges and, and things like in the smoke in the Smoky Mountains and stuff like okay, that. Okay, so that's why they do so they were around. buildings. They're using those kind and of And the energy. buildings became the natural habitat for them. Wow. With the cliff net ledges, you know. But they're doing well now. They're so. doing great now. They're all over the place. I oh see them gosh. all the time. That's a, they're beautiful birds if you haven't oh, seen them. Oh, they're awesome. Board. So at Kankakee, there were no captive-born birds. They were all wild-caught as youngsters like you were talking about. And these guys were flying them, and we were they were releasing pheasant, and these falcons were diving down. And they were pin dots in the sky, and they would hit that pheasant, and it just exploded. Oh, my God. And I was like, oh, this is the coolest thing. So I remember asking Ron Austin, I said, Ron, you think I could do something like that at the zoo? And, I, and you know, falconry and stuff, there was an ABC's Wide World of Sports, which was on every Saturday. And they actually wanted to come in and film the falconry. And they voted not to let them in oh. because falconry is a is a very dedicated hobby or passion, and and unless you're really going to commit yourself, you're not going to make it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not good for the birds neither. Yeah. So they didn't want to increase falconry to start taking off like it did, and and it didn't. So anyway, Ron Ron told me, hey, hey Gary, you're at the zoo. They understand that you could do a fly a bird. So I, my my goal was to get a falcon. And to go up on my lunch break in the centroid and, and lure fly oh, in front of the people. Yeah. And I, this was all going on. And then something happened in my life that I couldn't control. The Vietnam War was going oh, on. Oh, my gosh. I was single. I was 19 years old. Oh, and no. I got my draft notice. <laughs> so, no way. My brother was a Marine in the Korean War. And he said, get your butt in the Navy if you can. So <laughs> I went down to the Navy recruiter. 
And I, you know, I explained, and he says, oh, I can get you in. You're going to have to serve four years, though, instead of two. Oh, no. So I went back to the zoo and told him, I said, you know. And, and the deal was, because of the war and the draft, that I, I had to do the military, but then I, I could get out, and the zoo would give me a job back. Oh, okay. good. You know, I still had my job security with that. So four years in the U.S. Navy, three years on a ship off Norfolk, Virginia. Wow. And uh, we sailed a little bit, and uh, I was in the engineering department, which meant I was down in the boiler room of oh. the ship, which was like 120 degrees. Dear I grew up a lot, and it was interesting. And we were down off the coast of Cuba, and an osprey landed on the mast of our ship. No. And and a guy up in the, the captain's like, hey, anybody know what kind of bird that is? And my buddy, hey, I know a guy that knows what kind of bird that is. <laughs> and they called me out of the boiler room, and I was like, oh, and I'd start telling them about ospreys and how they turned always turned to fish head first for aerodynamics, and they had special scales on the bottom of their feet. Oh, and the, cool. they were all, and the ship's photographer was taking pictures <laughs> of it. And uh, it was kind of cool because we were down there in the fall, and all these birds were migrating back then. And a lot of birds landed on our ship's railing and stuff, and they were panting like crazy. And I'm thinking, this is Mother Nature's way of, there's a lot of birds that went go into the drink oh during gosh, the migration. Yes. Yeah. You know? and, but it was kind of interesting to see all that happening. So I'm so glad you were safe and made it through <laughs> yeah. all that. I oh, could yeah. not imagine that being drafted and, yeah. and for so many reasons. But then I, my, my mind also goes back to then... What happened to all the animals that were under your care? And did yeah. were there a lot of zookeepers well, that had you, to leave at once? What happened? You know, I told them in June that I would be leaving in September. And and so there was plenty of time to get a new mm. keeper. Did more and, women start working then? Or was it still You know, just... it, yeah, it, it did start up getting more women. I, Diane McLaughlin worked in the birdhouse. And I believe she was the first full-time woman keeper that wasn't doing the nursery. Okay. And Diane was here for quite a few years. Um, but yeah, that, and you know, when I came home on leave, my mom never had to ask me where I was going. The next <laughs> I was up here, man. And I'd go in and see the chimps and, and Eddie, the one chimp, we used to groom ourselves each other Aww. and Eddie, Eddie would groom me. And if you hit a little mark on your arm, he'd, and I'd groom Eddie and, and they were glad to see me when I came back. They remembered me. How cool. That's this, incredible. This is a funny Navy story for me. So my mom. I did not, I wasn't here when, when Sam and Samantha were born, the two gorillas. Uh, Penny was Samantha, I think, and, and Hartari and Mahari were Sam. Anyway, they, I didn't see that. I did see what led to the babies being born. <laughs> I did see a lot of that going on. And then I went in the Navy, and my mom's like, oh, the gorilla had a baby. And she sent me newspaper clippings and stuff, you know, and I had photographs of me and the chimps and all that and and before i left for the navy i'll never forget this cecil i said cecil i want to get this picture i took my shirt off i had shorts on i climbed up on shotzi the elephant and he put the three chimps up there with me no oh and, and i was like by god i'm tarzan, <laughs> I'm tarzan. but anyway oh, I, all these all I these pictures picture. were, were in my locker in the navy and and all these other guys you know, and a surprise locker inspection. You had to stand at attention with your locker open, and the, the, one of the officers came down and looked in your locker. <laughs> so there I am. <laughs> and the, the officer comes up, and he's like, looking. And he looks at me, and he looks at the pictures, and he just shakes his head. <laughs> he's like, what is wrong with this boy? <laughs> Everybody else had, you know, Playboy centerfolds and stuff, and I had gorilla 
being born and things. <laughs> and me weird. riding shots right. <laughs> with oh three gosh. chimpanzees. Me Not just riding shots. an elephant, riding an elephant with chimpanzees. Oh yeah. yeah. Wow. You've done some amazing, incredible, unique things. That is wild. Right. I can tell you day stories all day. I mean, we had a we had a prop boy, his name was Larry Franklin. And and when we opened the doors, the chimps would be on the back of the elephant and they'd come out. Here they are, Cecil Jackson and his trained animals. And, and you know, they would come out on the elephant and Larry would open the doors and Larry, you got to stand back away from that when you open the doors because something could happen. Well, one day they came out and Angel, the biggest chimp we had, she reached down and grabbed Larry by the hair. And Larry had one of those beetle haircuts. <laughs> <laughs> and and she drugged Larry all the way around the stage oh, in, no. in front of the whole crowd. And the audience was going crazy. They thought it was part of the Oh, act. my gosh. <laughs> and He's Larry, probably screaming. Larry had a... He was hurt. Oh, and, no. And... Uh, no, but he, he survived, and uh, he never stood that close to the doors. Again. I can't believe he came back to work. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, they just... See, uh, Gilbert Jackson, Cecil's oldest son, he had, he had his rip, shirt ripped off on stage by the chimps oh my because gosh. they were slow. He was slow at getting a table out or something. When you ran the props, man, you you had to put that bicycle right there or that scooter right there. And, oh my gosh! Uh, you know, it, it was it was. I can tell you a lot of great stories about the chimps and and me, and it was it was kind of. It was exciting. It I was bet. You know, and terrifying. And all of the above. <laughs> yes. Well, so it kind of makes so, sense that we moved from chimps to birds then. Yeah. yeah no, so you I came back from the Navy. I Is came that back, when the bird show started? I came back and uh, they said, we're going to put you in the elephant house. We got an opening there and um, we, we'll put you there for now. And they said, there's this old circus elephant named Julie. She's been giving some of the keepers trouble. So you keep an eye out on her. And I thought, well, I worked with Shotzi. I never had any problem. You know, you, you just be calm around the animals and they're fine with you, you know. And animals can read you, you know. So you had to be relaxed and never had to be tense or jerky. And um, so anyway, I was up there for about a week. And um, I was out on out in the yard. It was a September day. I was raking leaves. And Maudie was in her pool right off to the left of me. That's the hippo, and, right? The hippo. Okay. And behind me was Julie and Gretchen, the African elephant, was there. And I was raking leaves, and the next thing I knew, I was I was in the air. And, oh, my gosh. And Julie's trunk, she picked me up, and she swung, swung her head this way. Now, if she would have dropped me here, I'd have been in Maudie's mouth. <gasps> oh, but no. But she swung me to the ground in front. And there's people out there. Thank oh goodness gosh. they didn't have cell phones back. Right. <laughs> but there was people out there watching this. And and Julie pinned me to the, my chest was against the gunite. And here was the moat and here were the people. And she was doing a headstand oh my on gosh. my back, which is how elephants kill things. Yes. <laughs> so there I was. I was, I felt like a fly and, you know, but Roy Stricker luckily was looking out of the door and he saw this happen and he came running out. And yelled, Julie, get off of him. And she backed off of me enough where I got my hands up on the edge of the gun eye. And I dove into the moat. I think mm -hmm. I've heard this story before, but I didn't realize all that went into it. And some, oh one of the gosh. public, one of the guys in the public helped me out of the moat. Wow. And my shirt was all ripped and shredded. And Were Roy, your ribs broken? Did she? Well, Roy said, Gary, they want you to go to the hospital. That was bad. She was trying to kill you. And so I went to the hospital and they, you know, my shirt was all shredded up and, 
And the doctor walks out and never forgets this. He said, I heard you got crushed by an elephant. I go, yes, yeah, doc. He said, I usually get these cases on Friday night, but I'll t- he, he checked me out. And, and he said, you're, all your organs are fine. But he said, you're going to be sore for the next six months. Oh, my gosh. And, boy, if I sneezed or something, I felt it. It oh was bad. Oh, my gosh. So I got back to the zoo, and Roy said, Ed wants to see in his office. And I'm like, oh, boy, not really. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> so I went in there, and Ed said, Gary, I'm getting rid of that elephant. She's tried to kill too many people. Oh, my gosh. And and we had her for about five months more, and, and they sold her to a guy in Florida that had an elephant ride. Oh boy! That and I don't sound even like the right elephant for know that. this, but there was a, a guy killed by an elephant down there that a year later. I just wondered if it was her, but wow. I don't know that. But yeah, that was the that was the end of Julie. And and eight months later, there was an opening in the nocturnal house, and I signed for it. Said, "Give me away from these <laughs> elephants! Get out of there!" <laughs> and everybody thinks that's how I started birds because the elephant almost killed me, but it wasn't. And I don't hold it against them, but. Um, yeah, it was it was pretty scary. Dangled over ago. a hippo's mouth happened, by an elephant. It happened yeah. so quickly, you know. Wow. It happened so quickly. Uh, so that worked in a nocturnal house for eight, for about a year, and then I they had an opening in the old ape house, and I went back there, and I worked with Cecil for about a year there. <clears throat> and then there was an opening in the garden department, believe it or not, and I was still through all this time. Messing around with raptors okay. and hanging out with Ron Austin and Jack Holt and all this stuff. But anyway, I was on the garden department for five years. And the reason I was on the garden department, I was single. And when you're in the garden department, you had Saturdays and Sundays off. Oh, I was wondering. And I, I was big into sports. I played, um, I played on an ice hockey team. I played on a soccer team. And I played softball. Wow. All while I was single, running around and chasing girls and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it was great to have those five years in the in the garden department. And I really got interested in it. It was fun. <clears throat> and anyway, but in 1978, I said, man, I got to try to do a bird show. And I went into Ed's office and he said, yeah, go ahead on your own time. So I worked on the garden department, and then it, I got off at three thirty. I went over and and I got some got me some bird. I had a red tail, a horned owl, vulture, crow, some other stuff, <clears throat> and uh, I was I was trying to put a show together. I got permission from Cecil to use the stage, okay. and uh, you know the moat was still out there with the, where the sea lions used to be and all that. And the moat actually was a protection to keep the chimps from getting into the audience uh, that oh, would have right. been really bad yeah, yeah no kidding definitely. yeah so the moat worked at twofold but the sea lion show was long gone but the chimp show was still going on okay so i did this little bird of prey show i played some john denver music <laughs> and i got out there with a the red tail hawk and stuff and i actually got a bald eagle at this time from from a friend of mine in st louis who worked at the st louis zoo and his name was Walter Crawford. He started was what is now called the World Bird Sanctuary in oh, St. Louis, yeah. which is a big rehab facility, and they do lots of work with raptors primarily. Yeah. And uh, Walter's gone now, but he gave me a, a one-footed bald eagle, <gasps> and she was a juvenile, and she her one foot had gotten shot off by a duck hunter or something. Oh, my gosh. oh no! So she only had one foot. So again, I had to worry about that foot problem that I had with the Harvey Eagle. And I, I had her on a on hay bales, which actually wasn't good because hay has a lot of spores and stuff in it. But anyway, <clears throat> I had her there, and I'm like, I got to do something about this no foot. And I called Veterans Hospital up, 
and a guy came over who works with the veterans with artificial limbs. No way. Yeah. And we worked out an idea to make a landing pad for her other leg that we strapped onto her leg. And it was a, it was a soft cushion thing. And uh, we put it on her and, and uh, her foot swelling, she didn't have any swelling, it went down. Wow. And everything was good. And this made national press and it was like an artificial limb for a bald eagle. Yeah. That's amazing. And it was all over the United States. And some lady in Philadelphia painted the eagle for me and sent it to me, oh, cool. thanking me for doing it. Yeah. And, you know, I was, it was neat. So anyway, I had these birds and it was going on. And then I got a phone call from the Ohio Division of Wildlife. And the guy's name was Bill Page. He was the chief of the Division of Wildlife. He said, Gary, I heard you're doing a bird show down there at the Cincinnati Zoo. And I go, yes. Yeah, I am, Bill. And he said, well, I heard you free fly the birds. And I go, yeah, I turn them loose and they fly down to me. And he said, well, you know, you're breaking the law. Every time you turn one of them birds loose, they're property of the state of Ohio. And falconry in the state of Ohio is illegal. Oh, no. Uh, and my all my buddies who were into the same stuff I was into, they all moved to Indiana or Kentucky because oh. it was legal in those states. Oh. So anyway, he said, you can't do it anymore. And I said, well, if I can't fly them, I'm not going to do a show. That's ridiculous. And um, so... I got rid of all the birds. I had just gotten married, and, and I thought, well, this is fine. I'm going to work on the garden department the rest of my career. And, and, and then the next year, they brought in a guy from California. His name was Steve Martin. Oh, my gosh. And he was going to do a bird show. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And it wasn't, it wasn't that Steve oh, Martin. Oh, it wasn't. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's like, but what are that? They were going to do a bird show, and I'm like, wait a minute. How is that? And well, they had just legalized falconry in Ohio, so I think right a, a year after later they closed me down. How frustrating! <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I'll be damned. And I went over and watched Steve's show, and I'm like, damn, this is a pretty good show. Turns out Steve worked for a guy at the San Diego Zoo by the name of Ray Berwick, and you don't know that name, but there was a show back called Beretta, and and the guy had a trained cockatoo in the show, and it was a it was a hour show detective show that was on on ABC or something oh, okay. like that. And and Ray trained the cockatoo. Ray also did a bird show at the, at the Animal Wildlife, at the uh, San Diego Wildlife Park, not okay. the zoo. And, and he did a bird show and flew hawks and this and that. And Steve got a job working for him. And Steve learned parrot training and all this stuff from Ray Berwick. Well, then Steve decided to strike out on his own. And this would have been like 1981. So, or 80, 1980. So then Steve learned this stuff and struck out. And he got a job at the Cincinnati Dudes doing a bird show. And I went over and watched it. And I'm like, damn, that's pretty good. You know? <laughs> I know how he got the hawks to fly. But I mean, how did he get that parrot to talk into the microphone? And how did he get the crow to flap and get the dollar bill and bring it back and stick it in his shirt pocket? You know, I'm like, this is pretty cool. How did he, how is it? You know, it was like magic for me. You know? Yeah. And uh, so anyway, I let it go. And. And then that fall, Barry Winkman calls me into his office in the education department. He's, he was director of the education. Mm -hmm. And Barry said, hey, Gary, how would you like to do a bird show? And I'm like, ah, I don't know, Barry. And he says, well, I'll tell you what, we'll write it in the Steve Martin's contract next year that you'll work with him and, and he'll teach you how to do stuff. And I, I said, no, I really don't think I want to do it. I was married and I like my weekends. And, and Barry said, well, go home and think about it for a week. So. I went home, my older brother, I called him and he's, 
Gary, this this is you, man. You got to do this. You know, he 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 was a good good advisor. And I talked to my wife Nancy, and I said, you know what this means? This means I won't be home on the weekends so anymore. And this, she said, go ahead. Do you want to do this? Go ahead. And by God, she you know she stuck with me. <laughs> and and uh, so I went back. I said, okay. But if I don't succeed, I want my old job back. And Ed Maruska had to write write that on a piece of paper and sign it. And now that, that's still in my underwear drawer. Ah, no way. <laughs> so anyway, I I had a lot of doubts about my success. So Steve came back the next spring, and I I had to work my regular job till noon. Oh my god! I had to work on the garden department till noon, and then I went over and helped mm-hmm. them with the bird show. And Steve. Steve was great. He taught me all this stuff. And he, he t- I had an African gray parrot, which Steve belonged to Steve Romo in the belt. And they were trying to breed him in the birdhouse, but he didn't want to have anything to do with birds. He wanted to be around people. <laughs> oh, yeah. So Steve gave me this parrot. And I had this parrot, and there was a crow up in the children's zoo that a girl in the children's zoo had raised, and that was on display at the children's zoo. His name was Archie. Aww. And I had Mort and Archie, and I was down there at Steve's with Steve with these two. And Steve taught me everything. And it blew my mind how easy it was. And it blew my mind how quick the birds learned. So smart, yeah. Like to teach a parrot to wave, you can do that in a a day or two, easily. All you do, everything's a positive reinforcement. So for a parrot, sunflower seeds are like giving a kid an Uh M&M. You know, it doesn't fill them up, but yet they love it. Yeah. So, you know... I would hold more every time he got on my hand. I give him a sunflower seed, and then he got right up on my hand. So to teach him the wave, all you do is put your finger near him like you're going to pick him up. He lifts his foot, and you go good, good as <laughs> the bridge, telling him he just did the right thing. And then you give him a sunflower seed, and pretty soon you can do back here, and he gets the cue to wave his foot, and he does it. And I'm like, oh my god, this is really cool. <laughs> and, and Archie, I, the dollar bill routine was so. You take a stick and you put a target below his head and you take a stick and touch it to his beak and you drop it into that container and you give him a reward. Oh. And you and you drop it and give him a reward. And then you take that white container, which is the target, yeah. and you move it a little to the right. And he drops it. You don't give him a reward. Drops it. Don't give him a reward. Then you push it back. Drop it. Ah, good. And then you put it over. And I call it the light bulb moment. Yeah. And sure. that's when the bird, like, Oh, I got it. And, and and once you see that light bulb come on their brain, then he put it over here, and they put it over here. Then I changed the stick for a dollar belt rolled up. And then I put this a Target in my pocket, and, and he was doing it, man. I ain't doing that Fun. routine. So I worked with Steve all summer and, and learned stuff. He even, he even had me going out on stage doing some of the talking. <clears throat> and then in the fall, Steve packed up his van and headed back to California. Said, good luck, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> They put me in the boiler room of the birdhouse where it was like 100 degrees. <laughs> and I had, I got some macaws. I got Reggie the cockatoo who's still down yeah. there. And uh, Steve actually called me up. He said, there's this great bird in this pet store in San Diego. You ought to get him for the show. So I went to the zoo director and I said, I want to buy him. Yeah, go ahead, buy him. And, and that's oh how gosh. Reggie came here. So anyway, all winter, I was working these birds in the boiler room. <laughs> And I had a, a con, an Indian condor that had a crooked neck that they had bred here at the zoo. And uh, I had a red-tailed hawk. Her name was Ginger. And I was flying her. And, you know, just doing all the routines that I knew I had to do. And my show was very similar to what Steve had done 
with his show. I kind of copied off of him. And so I had a, a, another kid working for me. His name was Barney. So he took care of the birds when I had my days off. Okay. And then he was going to help me do the show. Barney Folger was his name. And um, so the very first show I ever did with my, my new show was Members Night. So it was packed. The amphitheater was packed. All the board members were there, oh, along what? with Ed Maruska, oh, no. Marge Schott, all them people were there. And um, Steve Martin had got a contract with the Toledo Zoo to do a show up there. So he drove all the way down from Toledo to see <laughs> no my pressure. first show. Yeah. And I was, like, scared to death. We were on a little stage out in front there because Cecil's show was still going on. <laughs> and, you know, Catherine did her cat show on that little stage. Wow. And, Anyway, I was pretty scared, and I went out and did the show, and almost everything worked, but Ginger was on the roof of the old ape house, and she, we opened the crate, and she wouldn't fly down. To, oh, no. And, and that was kind of embarrassing, but it, she got over it, you know. Other than that, Archie did the dollar bill routine, and you know what you did? You did the dollar bill routine. He'd fly back down, stick it in my short pocket, and then I'd go, okay, now let's try that with a five dollar bill. <laughs> and I go, oh no, would you like your shirt back? And I always tried to pick a girl out, and I said, okay, so you want your dollar bill back? Okay, I tell you what, hold your hand out here. Archie's going to flap there with your dollar bill. He's going to land on your arm. He's going to walk over and stick it down your shirt. <laughs> oh no pocket huh well good luck <laughs> and the girl would go oh my gosh <laughs> and then I said no I'm just kidding you he'll put it in your hand oh my gosh. and he was trained he'd fly up and he'd stick it in there and close, <laughs> fly back and that was that routine but crows are great very smart yeah. animals obviously I'm sure you were and, so relieved when your show went off without any oh, big yeah. big hiccups no big oh, mistakes yeah. it's always such a, a nerve wracking moment it is. as a keeper or a trainer when you're finally have to do the task on hand and, and you, you know hope the animal performs <laughs> I, for 37 years then i did that show and i i used to towards the end i love bouncing out there in the beginning i just love going out there because i i just hit in my brain i'm like what do you see this show you know yeah. you're gonna love it you know and you know i had a class in high school it was called better composition and it was about writing stories and stuff and really when you think about it all almost all movies all good novels, they all go with this. They go with two, four, three, one. And what I'm talking about there is you start out with something pretty darn good. And you start out with something pretty darn good so the people go, wow, I'm going to watch this show. And then in the middle, you're, you're getting your more education. You're getting more of, here's a bird and I'm going to talk about it. And, and then at the end, you start, you end with your best stuff with, for me, back in those days with the crows doing all yeah, the Yeah, that makes so much sense. Yeah. So from that stupid high school class, wow. I knew, and, and Steve was doing it too. They all, it's pretty much common sense. Yeah. <clears throat> but then later, I actually, we developed the comedian in the show. And that was Kevin Hills was the first guy that did that. And we had Boris the Black Vulture was a baby at the time. He came from Bush Gardens in Florida. He was a third generation show vulture. Wow. His grandparents did the show back in the 1920s at Bush Gardens in Florida. Wow. And I got one of the, Boris was one of the offspring. And anyway, I got Boris and Kevin was raising him and he was wonderful. Very, very smart. Vultures are super smart. And, um, but we were like, there was something going on with a, a commercial where they said, she's fallen and can't get up. And I'm like, Kevin, I got an idea. We're going to teach people about vultures. 
and you're going to have a heart attack on the stage, and I'm going to use the... He's fallen and can't catch <laughs> And then Boris is going to fly down from behind the theater and land on you. And then, this is a vulture that they have the ability to clean a carcass to the bone, and you would go, to the bone! I'm feeling much better! And he would scoot Boris off the side, and he'd run off. And the crowd went crazy. And they and so we were doing comedy. We were doing education. Yeah. And it was kind of a sight gag later as I was talking. Kevin would run out and Boris would chase him across again, you know. And that's how that routine actually evolved. Oh, my evolved. gosh. And Boris still does that. Boris, Boris still is still that. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, and yeah. At what he's, he's probably close to forty years wow. old. Wow! And I love that you're bringing the education with the vultures, but also oh. showing how I mean, in a funny way, making them. We yes. think they're cute and amazing I, here. I love our vultures. <laughs> yeah, and them. you know the falcons. That was always I. I love falcons, and man, I was I was learning to, to fly them. I had lantern falcons. Uh, a guy by the name of Morley Nelson came to Cincinnati to give a lecture. Now Morley Nelson, you probably never heard this name, but I'm going to tell you about him. He actually trained the birds in all the... When I was a kid watching these shows, there was one called Rusty and the Falcon and Eye to the Golden Eagle. Morley Nelson trained the birds in those Disney shows. Oh, cool. That when we were kids, we watched on Wednesday night. And then on Thursday morning, when we were in school, we were talking about it. Oh, my gosh. But Morley trained those birds. He was a World War II veteran. He had a Golden Eagle, and, and they were going to dam up the Snake River in Boise, Idaho, has the largest concentration of raptors in the world. Wow. And I actually got to go there. I sent a, I took a tour group out. Thane wanted me to go to Africa. I said, I want to go to Boise, Idaho <laughs> in May. And he goes, well, okay, if you can get eight people to sign for you, you can go for free. So I, I we went for free. And and the, it's kind of like Harrison, Ohio, almost it's flat. And it looks like the ground is moving. And it looks like the ground is moving because of the ground squirrels. There's ground squirrels everywhere up there in the springtime. And the Snake River has cut this canyon. And in this canyon are all these cliff ledges. And there's prairie falcons, golden eagles, ferruginous hawks. Every 50 yards at least. And you go in a Zodiac boat and you float down this, the Snake River. And, there's, and you're watching all these golden eagles flying in with these ground squirrels to feed their babies. Wow. And the babies are all sitting up there on the ledge. That sounds incredible. Well, anyway... They were going to dam up the Snake River in Boise, Idaho. Morley Nelson drove to Washington, D.C. with his Golden Eagle. He sat out in front of Congress every morning as the congressmen were coming in. And Morley just sit there and say, I just want to show you guys what you're destroying. What and, and they said, Morley, what are you talking about? And he would tell them, and they passed the legislation. And that is now Morley Nelson Wildlife Sanctuary. And it's thousand acres in the Snake River, and that will be protected forever. That gives me goosebumps. I, mean, I want to do what something like that. <laughs> That's incredible. You can. Oh you my can. gosh, I don't know how. That's incredible. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, Morley was in Cincinnati, and this this is all before that actually happened. But he was, and I was, Devere Bird, who was the director of the Natural History Museum, was bringing him in, and he knew I was the raptor guy over here at Cincinnati Zoo, and I would take my red tail over there and. The, they would draw it and this and that. But anyway, Devere called me up and said, hey, Gary, will you show Morley around then? I had heard of Morley before, so I, I'm like, oh, hell yeah, I will. <laughs> so Morley, I walked him around the zoo, and, and great guy, really nice man. And I showed him the stage, and I said, Morley, is there any way I can fly a falcon down there? And he says, get you a male lantern falcon. They can do it. And I listened to him, and I got one. 
and and he was right. They, the peregrine would go out for half a mile and turn and come in at hundred, but the lantern <laughs> stayed really close in when I lure for him. Okay. So I got my first lantern, and I was doing that when I did the bird show, thanks to Morley. And, and the lantern is the best bird. I've had a few others. My actually, my first falcon came from the Air Force Academy. And they would fly birds at their football games at halftime. Oh, yeah. Oh. And I was in Pennsylvania for a Raptor conference. Brown Hammer, Strohn, Ron Austin, they were all there. And uh, I was at the bar one night, and there was a guy sitting next to me. And I, I told him, I like falcons. I, I work at the Cincinnati Zoo, and I always wanted a falcon. And he's like, well, I'm, I'm uh, in charge of the falconry thing at the Air Force. We're, we're playing Army tomorrow. You want to go with me? Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> so... That next day, we, I'm standing at the 50-yard line at, at West Point, and, and they got the Air Force Academy flying the Falcons, and I'm watching them. And he says, when the football season's over, I'll give you one of these Falcons. Because he said, we breed them, and we don't, after our first year, we, don't, we just give them out to Falconers. And wow. So that was my first big Falcon, okay. other than a Kestrel, you uh -huh. know. But that didn't really work out, and I ended up sticking her in a breeding project with some guy I knew that had a... A male falcon. Okay. But anyway, then I got a lantern falcon, and those were great. And I had them for years in my show. And I always thought, man, this is the crowd's going to go crazy. And I was kind of surprised they didn't really huh. react as much as I thought they would. The funniest situation I ever had with my lantern falcons is um, we always put telemetry on them in case they flew away, we could follow them. So it was always fun going out in Avondale when one flew away. <laughs> Tracking a, a telemetry gun out, blowing a whistle and swinging a lure, walking through the backyards in Avondale. Man, I'm telling you, that wasn't fun. <laughs> it had some interesting stories, though. I'm sure you got some crazy looks out there. <laughs> so we released this falcon out of a 50-foot, the pole's still down there, a 50-foot pole, there was a release box, and that gave her some momentum to come down on me when I'm swinging the lure. So I did that on the roof of the uh, ape house up there. There was a platform built for me so I could fly, let her fly the falcon. Because down by the stage, I was worried about running into things. Yeah. So anyway, we would crank that box up, and there was a pull a cord which opened the, the door. And as they were cranking it up one day, the, the, the rope that you pulled wrapped around a branch as they were pull, cranking it up. So as they cranked it up, they opened the door, oh, no. and the falcon flew out. So I'm downstairs behind the stage getting ready to go out and do the show, and I'm putting my microphone on, and I had my zipper down, my pants open oh, no. as I'm putting the microphone. And I hear this girl on the roof going, Gary, the falcon's out. And so I grabbed my pants with my left hand. And I grabbed the falcon lure, and I went running up the stairs. I knew I couldn't stop, and the falcon would be gone. If yeah. I so anyway, and it was a full crowd. <gasps> oh my and the show was getting ready to start. And I'm standing on the, up on the platform. The whole crowd's watching me. I'm blowing the whistle, and I saw it was Sage. It was the lantern falcon Sage. He was over the birdhouse. By the time I got I up say, there. I'm surprised. As and it, fast was a, as can... it was a little dot, but I knew it was him. And I blew the whistle and I started swinging the war and holding up my pants. I'll say your pants are falling <laughs> down this whole and time. And I saw him turn and he, he's, wow. oh my God, he's coming back. And I swung and I made him do a pass. And then he hit the lure and the crowd went crazy. <laughs> and I turned my back and I zipped up my pants. 
got the falcon and went there. But I thought, well, this is going to be good if I drop my pants in the middle of this crash while I'm floor flying the falcon. That wow. was one of the best stories I got on the falcon. That's incredible. But I'm telling you, it's so cool when they go by you. Sometimes they're going so fast. You hear that whoosh of air and all that stuff. And then it's they just so turn cool. right back towards and you? And then they go up and they do, in aviation, it's called a wing over. They do a, a sort of a stall turn where they look back over their shoulder and they crank their tail around and then they're coming back down on another one. And I had one bird as in with Salton. I swear he he would use the sun to blind me so I couldn't see where he was. He would be coming out of the sun and I know he knew what he was doing. And they would use the sun to catch prey. That makes sense, yeah. Because... And Baron von Richthofen in World War I knew that stuff. And, and the pilots, they would dive on the Allies using the sun behind him as a, as a screen. They couldn't wow. see him. <clears throat> and when I was out in Idaho, well, I, wasn't, I was in Utah on that excursion, I saw the most amazing thing, one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in nature. Um, we were at a big open lake in Utah, <clears throat> and we were watching a bunch of shorebirds on the shoreline. And, uh, you know, I was with uh, about eight members, and I, we had a guide that was with us. And we were looking, and I, I kind of looked off to the right, and I'm like, oh, hey, look, at, there's a bald eagle flying over there. And the bald eagle was circling. And then I looked above the bald eagle, and there was a peregrine falcon up there. And I'm like, hey, there's a peregrine falcon way up above that bald eagle. I'm telling everybody this because I'm seeing it. And, and all of a sudden, that peregrine goes into a dive. And it looked like it was going to knock the bald eagle out of the air, which it could have done. It went just to the side of the bald eagle and went down and nailed a shorebird. And I'm like, here's exactly what was happening there. That, that falcon was using that bald eagle as a screen. Yeah. And those shorebirds knew that bald eagle wasn't a threat. Oh, my gosh. And, and it, it was so cool. Nature is so yeah. amazing. Oh, there's so much going on out there. Wow. With animals. It's, yeah. They're so smart. So it's it's fun. Um, one of the worst uh, talk, every once in a while I have a fly off. It was rare. But every once in a while it happened, you know, in the business. And I had a pied crow. And, you know, they got white and black markings on them. And um, the show season was over, so he was all fed up. And, and, and the guy working for me left the door open. Oh, no. And he left the door into the building open. So the pied crow flew out. And it wasn't hungry or interested in a reward, so he couldn't get it back, and it flew away. And it was in Avondale. And um, they, they called us and said, there's a really weird bird here because it's not all black. It's mm. white and black. So I said, oh, that's our crow, and we'll go over. So we went over to this place where it was, and I could see the crow up on, on the roof of this house. And it was kind of a split-level house with a roof here, and then there was more house here. And, I, and he was on this lower roof, and I'm like, well, i got to get to him to get to get him back. And I, I just went to the house door and knocked, and nobody answered. Nobody answered. So I'm like, oh, the door's unlocked. I'm going in. I went in the house. Full strategy. Here, here was a for drug addicts, one of those dry up centers or something. Oh my gosh! So I got upstairs. Nobody was around, and I went into the room where that window was, and there was like ten guys 
spread out on the on cots. Oh my gosh! They were all asleep. And it was like ten thirty in the morning. I'm like, well. <laughs> so between the window and me, there was a guy passed out right here, and I called the crow over. He hopped up on my hand. I got him, and I went downstairs. Oh and I don't think nobody even knew I was there. No one ever saw. And I got back out. <clears throat> And I thanked the people for calling, and I gave them some zoo passes, and we got the hell out of there. Get, wow. get out of Dodge before that was, anyone wakes that up. That was pretty scary, yeah. Oh, my gosh. That was pretty scary. Oh, man. All for the crow, though. You couldn't let that pied crow get away. No. Oh, wow. You oh, have the man. best stories oh, ever. Gary, you told us so many stories. You've inspired us all over the place, but... Do we have any other special okay, questions? Well, more yeah, we're going to ask, what can I do? Let's wrap it up, yeah. finish. Tell us, what do you think people can do just to... I, th I think every, everybody just needs to be aware of this and how, how important all these animals are to us and our lives and, and, and making the whole environment work. It's almost like I, I wonder about human beings, why are everything else works so well? Why are, why are we messing everything right. up? And we've got to stop it. And I think we, we're come up, we've come a long way. You know, back in the old days when I did the old chimp show, it was just a spectacle, a menagerie. Let's see these animals riding a bicycle. Mm -hmm. You know, there was very little education put in there. And then when I did my show, I, 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 you know, when I got permission from Fish and Wildlife Service to fly the bald eagle, they said, we're going to let you do this, but you got to have an educational message mm. or we're not going to let you do it. So I, I came up with the idea of a baseball card that had Sam on oh, it yeah. that had information about the bald eagle. And I gave that to the fish and wildlife people. And that's a great idea. Go ahead and train that eagle. Yeah. Go ahead and train the eagle. And I, honestly, that eagle was probably one of the greatest things I ever did. And, and seeing him fly down there in front of those thousands of people, oh, I got yeah. I never got over it. I was going to say. I never caught him, but I released him. Uh-huh. And, and, man, I was like, this is so cool. And, and I think back at that eagle I rescued out of that nest in, yeah. in Michigan. And, and, you know, man, it's been a great it's been a great life. Yeah, no kidding. You have stories that <laughs> are know. just blowing my mind and yeah. so many more. Those but... Sam cars were a great idea, though. I know I had one as yeah. a kid. Oh, I'm, did you? Probably one? still around my house yeah. somewhere, coming to the zoo. Yeah, those things were awesome. So neat. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank so you. So that's that's the and you you guys are carrying it on, and thank you. No, but it's it's you're you, you got a wonderful life. Just enjoy it. Yeah. Thank you for inspiring everyone and doing so much education. And yeah, you're what can I do? Basically, learn, educate yourself, become inspired, inspire others if you can. Um, you can't fix a problem if you don't know about it, if you're yeah. not educated about it and you don't know how to fix it. So. And you know, you can watch, and I watch PBS all the time. There's all these great nature shows, but there's nothing like seeing the real animal. Mm -hmm. For sure. And that's you why know, zoos are so important. Ted Turner lived in Avondale when he was a kid, and he'd ride his bike to the zoo. And now he's a big conservationist. He said, I own a quarter of the state of Montana, and they're in the cow on one acre of it. It's all buffalo. And, you know, that he started getting interested in wildlife by coming to the Cincinnati wow. Zoo. Yeah, see, that's what... These yeah. are the... That's why we need to be here. Yep. You know, there's no... There's no... There's no... There's no... Uh, Substitute substitution, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But there's no substitution for having a, a hawk fly over your head mm -hmm. or, or seeing an animal doing something or whatever. And, and it, it really want to conserve it. Yeah. That's the only way. Watching the movies or watching the TV shows and everything are great. But there's nothing like seeing it really happen. And that's sure. why the, the shows are important. The zoo is important. You're, 
you're connecting people to the wonderful animals we have out there. Absolutely. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for being here and telling yes. us so my many amazing pleasure. stories. We might ask you back because you are yeah. a great storyteller. Go on my history tour. <laughs> yes, and everyone, sign up for a history tour. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. can learn even more from Gary I'll actually do it for the, the employees for free. Okay, I sounds won't charge great. anything. You guys just pick a day and I'll come and okay. do it. Okay, I'm going to make up. that happen. Yeah, yeah. Mojo yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Gary. Well, thanks for having me. This has been fun. Yeah. yeah, thanks for taking the time to join us. Thanks for your whole career for educating and inspiring thousands of people all the donations amazing. from your carvings yeah yes. amazing. yeah 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 Super now enjoy cool. your retirement now i <laughs> am <laughs> i am enjoying it you know every day i wake up i'm still like let's go it's fun oh, well, thanks for listening everyone have a fantastic day yeah take care everyone bye